Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Ready good. to go to work here and solve the problems of the world. Your gas tank's full. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guard against any disappointments, you know. <laughs> I don't have uh, expectations beyond my means. And sometimes I'm surprised that we do a little bit better than my nervousness causes. So we still have a few people out there. We'd like to have a few more people watching and uh, thinking the message was valuable. valuable. But uh, the one thing Leonard Reed taught me, numbers aren't the whole thing. Yeah. Eventually numbers are important. But uh, the main thing is getting a group of people who are really serious and are willing uh, to spread a message. And that's what we hope we can do. Uh, we can't hope or expect too much more uh, because the problems obviously are quite overwhelming. But today we're going to deal with an overwhelming problem that we can do something about because we know how it happened. We know exactly what to do and it could be over in a short period of time. But is it going to happen? Not according to the news items. And what I'm talking about is the gasoline prices. They're high. And uh, Austrian economics teaches you shouldn't be surprised. People have been worried about it, just like we worried about a housing bubble. Well, uh, we worried about the inflation that came out of the QEs in 2008s, and, and all of a sudden uh, there are problems. There's a recession, and then they go and they start wars against the American people with COVID. They go and start a war over overseas, and what do they do? They spend $6 trillion. Oh, yeah, the, the world loves us, so they'll take our money, our money forever. But um, now uh, we have a president that's an activist, and he has studied uh, – you know, Keynesian economics very thoroughly, and, and uh, which means he can do anything he wants when he, when he, whatever his desires are. Interventionism. Yeah. Even though all the uh, Keynesians don't agree with each other, but they're interventionists where Austrian economics are. Non-interventionists. People can make up their own money on, um, own mind on how to spend their money. So they, um, you, you know, are always coming up with gimmicks. Now his gimmick is, you know, there's an election coming up, and uh, and lo and behold, one of the most unpopular things is uh, right now people uh, aren't fretting about uh, COVID, uh, and uh, they seem to be able to put it out of their mind about what's going on in Ukraine. But what they're concerned about is something that every household has to deal with, and that is the price of food and the price of of gasoline and that's a big deal and and they have to be exposed to that probably more so than a lot of the a lot of the crises that come up but this one is so necessary because it affects everybody but that's the reason that monetary policy is so important because everything we do just think the monetary unit is used in it's one half of every economic transaction, and that's why it's so important. But right now, we have prices going up. Prices going up is said to be by those who want to avoid talking about the Fed, uh, that is, uh, in, in inflation is, uh, you know, prices going up, it's the CPI going up, people are making too much profit, labor costs are too high, and uh, the Arabs are hurting us with oil prices, on and on. And, and we've listened to it, and we've listed, listed uh, the, the number of things that gets blamed. 
Uh, so, uh, but but uh, Biden isn't going to sit back because he has to show that he's active. And every once in a while, we see him on TV, and he is very active. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, he uh, he has come up with this wonderful idea. He's hinted with, it, and I think he made an official announcement about. It. I believe the Congress has to get involved. Is uh, just cut the taxes on energy taxes. You know, you know the gasoline tax. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know the federal government gasoline tax. But I'm not sure why we have the government doing that anyway. But anyway, it's going to be popular to, for a lot of people. But now, when the dust is settling, uh, you know, they're going to save 18 cents on every gallon. That used to be what I paid for a gallon. <laughs> but they're going to save it on every single gallon of gas. And But the people who have those diesels, they're so much better off. They get to save 24 cents oh, on right. every gallon. And so these, these are the pro proposals. But it isn't going quite as well as uh, the cynics might have predicted yeah. because, uh, guess what, even Pelosi and Obama has expressed, uh, you know, dismay at this. And they, they said, this is a little, little nutty, yeah. you know. Uh, so uh, a, a sense of truth sort of crept in that this is not going to be an answer. But nevertheless, they, they probably will cut it. And uh, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They say that, well, this is going to, <laughs> this is going to, de to deny money going to the transportation trust fund. <laughs> uh, they haven't been able to trust that for a long time. So, but uh, if they do that, they reduce, uh, the, this say that in theory, they, they actually go through with this and they cut it and the consumer saves some money. I don't think it'll do much good. But uh, it, it, it isn't saving any money. It's, the money is just being shifted. You, they can't avoid it because they don't want to talk about two things, the Federal Reserve and spending money. We spend too much, we print it. And that, that is devoid. There's no indication of that. But right now, this is the big thing. And, uh, uh, you know, Powell's talking to the Senate today, and I'm sure that that subject will come up. But they will not have an answer because they don't deal in reality. And, uh, and, and yet there's a lot of people now actually recognize the fact this is hardly a solution. And it makes no sense, but it's not a surprise. Price controls, either pushing things up or pushing them down or whatever, always is the, is the temptation, manipulation, but never dealing with the real problem, which is what we've talked about for so long, and that is the monetary unit. Yeah, let's put up this first clip because this is what we're talking about. This is Bloomberg, and we first noticed on Zero Hedge. The president's going to uh, have a little talk today, and he's going to say, here's what we're going to do. We are going to have a three-month tax holiday on the federal gas tax. As you point out, Dr. Paul, that's around 18 cents a gallon. I think it's going to be for three months. He notices that everybody notices that everybody's irritated at paying so much money at the tank, $5 a gallon, record prices across the country. Um, it, looks, it may look good, and of course we love tax uh, cuts uh, as much as you can get, but not when they're not accompanied by uh, spending cuts. And you talk about, well, how, a lot of people saying, well, how are we going to pay for the highways? We're going to have some potholes everywhere. Well, don't worry. <laughs> They'll find a way to print the money. <laughs> it's not like that money is coming from gas and going over here. But as was pointed out, I think, in the Zero Hedge article, what may look good on paper, and indeed, we're not going to say no to it, but that 18 cents a gallon for the average size of gas tank is going to be about $2.16 in savings per fill-up of a tank. 
And well, I'll take that two bucks in my pocket. When I take that two bucks to the store with inflation, it's not going to get me any more than I had before then. So it is kind of a smoke and mirrors kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, that's a pretty good way to put it because uh, that's about the way they run their, the, run their monetary policy. But every, everybody uh, uh, ha ha has a gimmick and uh, they would like to get something for free. But this is nothing for free. You're not getting a reduction. Uh, you know, I, I kept thinking, well, well, what would I, what would I do on this? Because uh, it, it's a, it's a farce. Yeah. It's not cutting anything. You're not dealing with the real problem. And yet, um, I decided that, uh, you know, this is theoretical. Of course, I, I would vote. I would vote uh, to cut it cut the taxes. Mm -hmm. And my argument would be, yes, I recognize it won't it won't really be the answer, but it might help cover it up. And then the, the real problem is it, the money is going to be spent because they're not going to cut the money out of something else. So it will, uh, the government is in worse shape because they've reduced their income. But I always vote for cut, cutting taxes, but I always voted to, uh, of course, cut the spending. So voting for it, which, is, which would really be of uh, little value, uh, the only value I would see under these conditions is to try to make the point of what they're doing and, and how senseless all this is. Yeah. And, uh, and, that's, that's the, uh, and that, that turned out to be so often the, the dilemma I would face, you know, uh, uh, wanting to vote against something that sounded good and try to explain to, to a lot of people who have been, uh, you know, uh, uh, brainwashed with uh, Keynesian interventionist economics because they're, they're not going to change their mind. And I would say 98% of them uh, aren't going to challenge it on the principle of unnecessary and very disruptive government intervention. And the people who say, you know, this is a smoke and mirrors kind of gimmick, I mean, that idea is boosted because you have the possibility, probability of unintended consequences because what they suggest is this might spur consumption of gasoline, this reduction, spur consumption at a time when there is no production of gasoline, there's no increased capability to refine oil into gasoline. And one of the things, in fact, that President Biden is expected to say is to tell the oil companies, hey, you've got to increase supply, you've got to refine more oil. And you can put up this next clip because it's from the Zero Hedge article that talks about this is the other part of his uh, tax holiday. He wants to... Uh, uh, request that refiners increase capacity. Remember last year he attacked the oil companies. Now he's asking them for a favor. Favor. He's calling on the industry to put its record profits to work and step in with more supply uh, and more refining capacity because you are going to see more demand if the prices go down. But the problem with that, Dr. Paul, again, is that it's not possible. And the reason we know this is from the oil industry itself. Let's put up this next clip because we did talk about this last week. But Mike Worth. He's the CEO of Chevron, uh, and he said that it's, it, it, it can't be fixed. He said there's not enough refining capacity to meet the demand for gasoline and diesel because no new refinery will ever be built in the U.S. again. That's important to read and listen to again. They're not building them, and they're not going to build them. Well, why? If there's so much money, you know, what is wrong with these people? Leave it up if you don't mind. Aren't they capitalists? What's their problem? Well, he points it out. This is his reason why he says they're not going to do it. You're looking at committing capital 10 years out, but we need decades to offer a return for the shareholders. And this is in a policy environment 
where governments around the world are saying we don't want these products to be used in the future. So the oil companies don't want to spend all these billions of dollars for more refineries because they've been under attack constantly from the U.S. government. All the green, all the climate people have been attacked saying, your product stinks. We don't want any more of it, but we want you to invest billions to make more. They're not going to do it. The economic calculations becomes impossible because, yes, that's the type of planning you need to do in a free market is look look for the time it takes and what is supply and demand and make, make decisions and, and plan for your capital. They either have to save the money or they have to know where to borrow it from. But there's, there's none of that at all because there's no, no definition for capital because capital uh, is uh, replaced by, uh, you know, a debt that is stealing capital from the little bit of value that's left in our money. So it, it doesn't solve the problem one bit. It, uh, it makes it more complex because basically the economic calculation, and you described it so well, is just makes it so difficult, you know, for the oil person. But, you know, then there's an argument, which is it's good that they argue among themselves. Some will say, well, you should do this, and we have to do this for the environment. And then, they, uh, then the oil people, uh, you know, have to complain. And, and there's disagreements, but eventually they'll... They'll have to come up with something. But I thought of one thing that uh, in the old days it would have been more appropriate, and that is on, on a temporary basis not realizing this is the solution, but it's a good move in the right direction, is if overuse is being the, you know, the problem, our deficit being the problem and, and causing it, and, it, and use, use of uh, hydrocarbons, uh, there's too much uh, for the environmentalists. This cut, this cut down tremendously the amount of hydrocarbons being burned by the military yeah you know and uh, sometimes the planes don't fly all day long sometimes a few of them go down and and yet they do it constantly you know and that maybe environmental so yeah that sounds that sounds like a pretty good idea but the, the whole thing there is even the environmentalists uh, aren't necessarily pure on what they say they're they're hypocritical too like the rest and like the like the modern day capitalists, yeah, we're for free markets when when it's for us. Yeah, and, uh, and when we need to be radical environmentalists, we'll do that too. But the odds of that, you see, that could be. Uh, I think that would make more sense. We're going to reduce the amount of oil we're going to, uh, uh, you know, burn up uh, r right away, and the federal government would do that. That that to make uh, to me makes more sense and would be more valuable than 18 cents a gallon. And you trying to figure out with, with how you're going to spend it, you're <laughs> yeah. looking forward to spending that all that money you're saving. Well, another funny thing about this whole chapter is how quickly they run, don't walk away from the green rhetoric when it actually hits the brick wall, yeah. you know, because look, Europe, Austria just announced it's going back to coal. Uh, Germany said that, and, and I think Czech Republic, they're all going back to coal um, because the prices have gone through the roof. But the, 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 <laughs> the funny thing is that these huge prices are just what the climate change cultists want. They want these huge prices because they want people to not use this stuff. So when it really hits the wall, though, they have to walk this stuff back. And, oh, go, I'm sorry. No, I'll go ahead. I'm, uh, I was just going to say, yeah, and just put up this next clip because all of the excuses that Biden is putting out for why the economy <laughs> is in such bad shape, Americans aren't buying it. This is a new poll <laughs> from Rasmussen. Only 11% believe Biden's narrative that Putin is to blame for record gas prices. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, 
Well, this is good stuff, though, you know, yeah. uh, that, that uh, the people are starting to recognize it. This is better than I would have expected. But uh, this this means, uh, you know, this part of the blame game, because uh, basically the blame is Republicans against Democrats and yeah. see if they can get any points. But if the average... Uh, if, if the average person doesn't buy into blaming everything on Russia, that's a healthier attitude than some of the other things that they do. But uh, they politicize it, and I'd like to see the, the targets being more directed at, you know, flat-out government uh, 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 spending money that they don't have and resorting to uh, all this type of manipulation, including environmental from by the by the Federal Reserve, yeah. Um, but that's what they have to get over. But I think this is uh, uh, this is a good poll. Is 11 percent believe that it believe this Putin's fault. Okay. It's, it's rather surprising. Yeah, it is. And actually, we have the Rasmussen. We have a, a just a clip from this. If we can put this on, because it's not just this. They don't buy the rhetoric, but they also realize what's going on. 57 percent of those polled rate Biden poor on the economy. Uh, which is uh, a big, uh, another big high for him, uh, viewing that it's poor. And if we can look, I don't know if we got that next tweet, but um, here's a tweet they run out of it. All voters, okay, so the question is, who's to blame for the, for the price hike? Well, the voters, all voters, 52% say Biden. Republicans, 80% say Biden. <laughs> Democrats, 46% say oil companies. Independence, 54% say Biden. So nobody believes that it's Putin's price hike. Nobody believes what he's saying. And they're blaming Biden, even his own party, it appears to be. And this shows why, if you look at this next clip, Dr. Paul, why you see uh, the Biden job approval rating is not looking good, down to 396 <laughs> Uh, that's slightly up from 38.9, which was his old low. But with all this, Dr. Paul, people not buying this, even his own party not buying this, all this rhetoric, you'd think this would be a bonanza for Republicans, right? Well, wrong. In fact, look up this next tweet from our friend Pedro Gonzalez, who's over at Chronicles magazine. He captures it well. This just falls into the laps of the Republicans. And what do the Republicans do? They fumble the ball. And here's Pedro. Over the last month or so, Mitch McConnell declared Ukraine, quote, the most important thing going on in the world right now. Uh, the GOP advanced gun control and now is talking about amnesty. They hate you, says Pedro <laughs> Gonzalez, and he's right. On every one of these issues that are great, great issues for the Republicans to hit back, they just embrace it even harder. I, I keep looking for the people who are blaming the Fed. I guess, I guess they're in this room and our friends. Well, know. they were in Reno <laughs> with yeah, the LP. Right. So, uh, the, so this is uh, this is the the whole thing is uh, if we don't get around to uh, recognizing how how the Federal Reserve works, uh, this this problem couldn't exist. People don't realize if you didn't have a Fed that legally counterfeited money. All this distortion and lying and wars and and war on on doctor-patient relationships when there's a virus out there. All these things are impossible because there would be no money. And then the people would say, no, if it, if it were volunteerism, I'm not going to donate money for this because I don't even believe in it. So it, it's a shame. But, but still, compared to a few years back, uh, 
we heard zero about the Federal Reserve. Today we're hearing a little bit more, and eventually they will hear about it, and that's the way it's happened throughout history. The, the money changers, the people who, who did the, uh, promoted this huge inflation, many times it ended up badly for those particular individuals who were identified with the inflation. Don't worry, Dr. Paul, we have just struck a big blow for human rights worldwide. Congress has passed and it has been enacted a ban on the import of products from Xinjiang in China. Put up that next uh, clip if you can. This is from the South China Morning Post. Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act takes effect in U.S. Banning imports from Xinjiang. That means that everyone who's working in Xinjiang will not be working anymore, and that somehow will improve their human rights. Um, our good friend Thomas Massey, the only member of Congress with the courage to vote against this sanctions bill. It's a stupid bill, but what it is, and I dug a little bit into it, Dr. Paul, and I think you'll agree with me, this is, gives the appearance of this great human rights achievement from Congress, but in reality, it's a jobs program for government and a power expansion program for government. Let's put on this next thing. This is from the same article. This is how they're going to enforce it. That's what it's all about. U.S. President Joe Biden's administration outlined its enforcement strategy, including how U.S. Customs and Border Protection will identify goods tied to, tied to Xinjiang, what kind of evidence will be admissible, da 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 da, for scrutiny. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security is committed to ending the abhorrent practice of forced labor throughout the globe and we thought the homeland security department was to protect our homeland security <laughs> right and here's the next one and this just tells you exactly what this is all about it's about government power not about human rights this is from the article in a sign that the administration is already eyeing such assistance from congress i.e money the u.s customs agency has requested more than 70 million in its 2023 budget to pay for the enforcement of the import ban. And that's up from a base level of around 10 million. The expanded funds would pay for 300 new staff positions, training and technologies, et cetera, et cetera. This is power and jobs program for the federal government. There you go. You know, m many years ago uh, now, I was still, I, I got on the banking committee early. I wanted to deal with monetary policy. And this type of bill came, came up like 20, 30 years ago. They were doing the same. <laughs> we got to punish them because they are violating the civil liberties of their citizens. And I said, and uh, I um, had not had much experience in the legislative process. But uh, then I got uh, I got a couple minutes, and I, I said, "Well, you know, this is this is uh, this is true, uh, but where is our responsibility for this, and what can we do?" And I would think that my understanding, you know, I I'm new here, but my understanding is that we have responsibility for our liberties, but we don't have the responsibility of sorting out problems around the world. Uh, you know, China's a long way off. Yeah. And uh, and then I cited a couple things that we were doing. It wasn't hard even back then <laughs> to find the infractions of civil liberties. Think of how easy that would be now. Look at you know, like uh, the trial for uh, January 6th, yeah, yeah. looking for a violation. So I said this, and it was a short statement. And, you know, the amazing thing happened. It didn't happen much after that because I think I caught them off guard. And, and they sort of, 
with a half of a sentence, acknowledge it. You have a good point there. And boom, they went into something <laughs> <Shut> else. <up. laughs> but uh, that's, that's the whole thing that uh, they, they uh, didn't put up the, an argument. And they really don't have an argument for it. How, how can we pretend that we can be the policemen of the world, bring peace and prosperity, never violate, uh, you know, uh, prevent the Chinese or the everybody from doing it when we do what we do yeah and the responsibility is here at home so it's a strong point but uh, i guess i better keep making it <laughs> <laughs> well we're the first ones who would say that china is far from perfect look how they locked down the country for this virus and destroyed the civil liberties look at their social credit system and like we always say we're adopting all the real bad stuff that they <laughs> yeah. do we love that stuff importing it <laughs> yeah we're importing it but, you know, people should really look into a lot of the special interests behind these claims about the Uyghurs and what's going on there, because it's not as cut and dried as people would like to think. There are some very powerful special interests that are pushing this narrative, and like all narratives, it deserves very close scrutiny, which it doesn't get because they turn it into an emotional issue. Oh, you doubt what we say about it? That means you love slavery, when in fact it's not necessarily true. It deserves a lot more scrutiny that's being given it. You know, do uh, uh, you have anything else no, that's, on that? That's because I want to talk a little bit about what Powell's doing today yeah. at the, at the committee. And uh, I described it, you know, the markets are on pins and needles all the time because the Federal Reserve Board Chairman is going to speak. And everybody knows what he's going to say is going to be, uh, you know, a lot of malarkey because he doesn't have answers and they, won't, they don't admit the problem. So what can you expect? But anyway, uh, he probably still at that at that conference answering these questions. But uh, Larry Summers, you know, he's a famous person that uh, has has some controversial things in his lifetime. But he was also Secretary of Treasury, an important figure, and, and they quote him a lot on, on Wall Street and the financial markets. And uh, he um, he's not happy with uh, you, you know that, that Biden is doing the right thing. So he's doing some criticizing. So this is this comes from Summers. He says we need we need five years of unemployment above five percent. He said six percent on one of his statements to contain inflation. In other words, we need two years of seven point five percent unemployment or five years at six percent unemployment or one year <laughs> of ten percent employment. <laughs> That's democracy, isn't it? Let's it's vote on this. And I got to thinking, isn't that just so typical? It proves they don't have the biggest idea what they're doing. What's it? What is the proper thing? The only thing that something suggests here that could leak in by accident is when he gets down to uh, one year at 10% unemployment. Now, that should never be policy. Like, yeah. inflation should never be policy. We need to inflate and destroy the money at 2% rate. And they're still looking for the 2%. But uh, this one year at 10%, that might fit the Depression of 1921 because it was total hands-off. It wasn't the government. The, the government was naive and said, well, let's have a depression, depression, this will clo close it. It's that they believed that there was a market cleansing operation when people overdid it and too much inflation that, that the correction would come. And, and, uh, and there, that depression was just a little over a year, and it was really sharp. It might have even been, been worse than that. And... Uh, that right now, they, they live still with, I remember the 70s because they said, well, it looks like 
the theory of the Phillips curve isn't working. You have inflation, you have lower unemployment rate. They were having inflation and lower unemployment rate. Mm-hmm. didn't help. So there's supposed to be a trade-off. They're still arguing this thing. Inflation historically has an inverse relationship with unemployment, meaning when inflation is high, unemployment is typically low. And they, they still work on this. So the, the whole notion that you you know, the markets turn down and things happen, but to say that's policy and that's what you have to do, you know, if you were doing the right thing and people anticipated you were going to do the right thing, you're not going to have the the psychological damage, you know, the anticipation, you know, of what would happen. But, but anyway, right now, uh, they're still citing the same garbage and... Uh, <clears throat> They back then I can remember so clearly when they started coining the word stagflation. Mm. You know, stagflation was new. What, what is this stagflation? Well, that's uh, you know inflationary recession or an inflationary depression. And they, I don't know why they stick to this because look at the, the com- countries in the world right now that have runaway inflation. Do they, it, boy, they probably have very high employment rate, wouldn't yeah. they? No, they have very, very high unemployment rate, yeah. and that didn't produce jobs. From that's uh, that's why I think the uh, the economic theory and the policies are so important. I don't think uh, I I just like it because he's he's needling them a little bit, but they still aren't talking about the subject I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to thank our viewers. Um, we asked yesterday if you please hit like and please send the show around. We did get a little bit of a bump. You know, this is the summer doldrums. We call it the cucumber season, the dog days of summer, whatever you want to call it. Um, but we do uh, want to have those numbers up. It gives us the strength and energy to try to continue every day. So if you are watching this, please just hit like. It's cost-free. It doesn't uh, only takes about a split second to do, and it'll help us hopefully get raised up a little bit so more people will see the show and maybe click on the show, get in some of those recommendations at YouTube because they wouldn't be suppressing us. I know they wouldn't do such a thing. Uh, But thank you for watching the show, and we hope you'll continue to watch as we try to cover events from a different perspective. Very good. I'm going to close by just making the point, and we alluded to it today, is that uh, there there are cracks in the seams. The Democratic Party, the progressives, the wild-eyed liberals are not monolithic. Daniel made the point about the environmental uh, arguments. Uh, when push comes to shove, all of a sudden they're not so dedicated to this idealism, especially when people start to get hungry. So there's, there's a dissension there because their views are wrong. But that doesn't mean that we automatically pick up the pieces and that people say, well, they're, they're wrong and they're not making sense and look at what they've given us. So we have to now look for a new, uh, a new and a better understanding. Not brand new, but something that's been around but can be refined. A lot of people would ask me over the years, yeah, Ron, you just want to go back to the gold standard. And my answer is no, that isn't the case. Uh, you know, we've had a gold standard. It was far from, uh, far from perfect. It was imperfect. And it broke down many times. So <clears throat> there's a lot of reason. What I want is to move toward the principles of liberty and let people decide what they want to do and not to let the government make these, uh, these decisions. 
a society based on volunteerism, whether it's in money or social orders, religious orders, sexual orders, uh, volunteerism is a wonderful thing because that eliminates a, an aggression and violence in solving our problems. And it's been available to us. We've had periods in our history, especially in our early history, where we basically understood that and things did go pretty well. But right now, uh, we, need, we do need a new emphasis on the principles of liberty because uh, that will provide the answers to the problems we face today. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.